Good morning, everybody. As we begin, let's, uh, let's join together in prayer. Almighty God, you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on all who desire it. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts, that with steady minds and burning zeal we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. On this beautiful, bright, sunny Mother's Day Sunday morning, we come into God's presence, and our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What shall we return to the Lord for all his bounty to us? We will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. We will pay our vows to the Lord in the presence of all God's people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Come, let us worship the Lord. Please join me in your bulletin for our prayer of confession. <clears throat> as we come into God's presence, we take our place as men and women who are tainted by sin and need God's forgiveness. Let us pray. Risen Lord, how often you come to us and we do not recognize you. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Therefore, in Christ we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so let us live. 
As we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts, let us lift them to the Lord our God. Roll away the stone from our ears and our eyes, that we might hear and see your truth for us in your word today as it is read and preached. And remove any stoniness of heart, we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first lesson comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 17, a passage in which Peter talks to us about having redemption in Christ, who is God's incarnate word. Hear now the word of God. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 13 through verse 35. Hear now the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. Then he said to them, 
Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going to go on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made them, been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I realized as I was thinking about this passage this past week that every church until this one that I have served has always had a cemetery attached to it. In the first cemetery of the first church I served, our stillborn son was actually buried. And so whenever I would go visiting out into the countryside and we would drive past the cemetery, my children would always make note of that fact and say hello. On a Sunday, sleepy Sunday afternoon, I was going out to visit an older woman who hadn't made it into the service, and my son was about five years old at the time, and we drove past the cemetery together on the dirt road, and he noticed a large pile of dirt beside a newly excavated grave. He pointed to it and he said to me, Look, Dad, one got out! I laughed. I laughed, I did. But now, every time I passed a graveyard, I'm reminded of the one who got out. Easter is about the one who got out. And all those who got out with him. Understanding our resurrection means understanding that now we live in God's presence. These two disciples were a lot like you were about three years ago as a congregation. They had lived through three years of the glory days. They saw Jesus enter Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. Hosanna to the son of David. They spent three years watching Jesus make miracles, changing water into wine, making blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were headed into great things with this guy from Nazareth. And in less than a week, 
all of their hopes were shattered. All the dreams had gone down the tubes. Two pieces of wood ended it all. And a stone over a cave tomb had sealed it forever. It was over. The dream was dead. What now? These two travelers on the Emmaus Road, they had heard about the women. Isn't it interesting how the words of women aren't trusted as well as the words of men, even in these times? They were sure that the women just had some kind of hysterical vision because no one else had seen it. When the disciples went to the tomb, they didn't see Jesus. So obviously, the women just exaggerated something. But as the conversation moves on, they begin to understand in ways they didn't understand before. Jesus opens the scriptures to them in new ways. They even invite him into the table to sit down and eat together and Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, and when he's about to break it and share it, they realize who's with them. And then, almost as though the three years had begun all over again, in a flash, he just disappears. What does it all mean? What does it mean? And they hustle back to Jerusalem in the dark, seven miles in the dark, to tell the rest of the disciples what's happened. What does it mean for us? What does it mean when the hope is gone? When the hope that this building will be filled to the gills and will need chairs and the aisles in order to seat everybody, those days are gone. Mega churches are even beginning to struggle with the collapse of attendance. They're churches. Much less historic, high steeple churches like ours. Has a dream died? Is it over? Should we just pack our bags and go home? Call it quits? Of course not. Why not? Because we believe what these witnesses told us. And we believe that Jesus Christ is as alive today as he was when he rose the day he was seen by the women and by the disciples on the Emmaus Road. How do we know that Christ is present with us? I'm impressed in this passage that really God's presence, Christ's presence, is based on the promises. I am impressed that Jesus isn't very tolerant of his disciples' unbelief in the face of the scriptures and the events of the week past. He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says to them, and to our shame, there are corners of the Christian movement today where unbelief and doubts are points of pride for the unbiased scholar and the academic. We have learned to demythologize the spiritual words of the scripture and explain them away, and we're left with little to show of our efforts except a shell of Christian relativism. About a core of faith 
in Jesus of history, God in the flesh. Jesus expects his disciples to believe what he says. And what does he do? He takes them from Genesis through Malachi. And he opens up the word in a way that begins to explain how God has been active all along. In her book, Mystery on the Desert, Maria Reiki describes a series of strange lines made by the Nazia in the plains of Peru, some of them covering many square miles. For years, people assumed that these lines were the remnants of ancient irrigation ditches. And then in 1939, a man by the name of Dr. Paul Cossack of Long Island University discovered their true meaning could only be seen when you were high in the air. When viewed from on an airplane above the fields, their seemingly random lines formed enormous drawings of birds, insects, and animals. In a similar way, people often think of the Bible as a series of individual, unconnected, historical documents and stories. But if we survey the scriptures as a whole, if we discover that they form one great story of redemption, from the opening scenes of Genesis to the final chapter of Revelation, weaving through all the diverse strands of the Bible is a divine storyline, a picture board, if you will. The overarching story of what God has been up to in the rescue and restoration of the fallen human race. From the first nanosecond of creation through the final cry of victory at the end of time. It's all about listening to the larger story. The promise. The disciples felt that. They said that their hearts burned when Jesus was teaching them, when he was opening those scriptures. But the presence of Christ was most real to them, they said, when? When he broke the bread. Presence is based on the Paschal meal as well. Food is very important to us as Christians, bread especially. This past week there was a meeting of folks from different faith traditions in order to talk about how to begin a women's shelter, a permanent women's shelter in New Brunswick. And what was interesting was we were meeting in the uh, Jewish temple down on Livingston Avenue, and the woman, the Jewish woman who was part of this group, uh, took the bread from the table where the supper had been prepared for everybody to have, and she took the bread and she said, I need to bless the bread before we eat. Now, there was all kinds of stuff on the table, but the bread she knew, in her tradition, was her baby. The bread represented the life. The bread represented the life-giving spirit of the community. And when she blessed the bread, everything and everybody got blessed as well. Now, the evening meal that Jesus presides over in Emmaus is not a celebration of the Lord's Supper. But it recalls vividly to these two disciples the times when Jesus would break bread with them and the intimacy of their table fellowship with him. 
Early in the church's life, the term breaking of bread comes to mean the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And in that act reveals his presence in a special way. You don't need to believe in transubstantiation or substantiation or spiritual representation or communal participation to understand that there's something special that happens when you come to this table. It is a holy time, a sacred moment in the universe, in time and space. It is a participation in what is called in the scriptures koinonia, the fellowship of faith. It is a remembrance, a proclamation, a thanksgiving. And it is still true. Author and speaker Brennan Manning has an amazing story about how he got his name, Brennan. While he was growing up, his best friend was Ray. The two of them did everything together. They bought a car together as teenagers. They double-dated together. They went to school together and so forth and so on. They even enlisted in the army together, went to boot camp together, and fought in the front lines together. One night, while sitting in a foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar. Suddenly, a live grenade came into their foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray. But Brennan's life was spared. When Brennan became a priest, he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. He thought of his friend, Ray Brennan. So he took on the name Brennan, and years later he went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn. They sat up late one night having tea, and Brennan asked her, Mom, do you think Ray really loved me? Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch, shook her finger into his face, and shouted, What more could he have done for you? Brennan said that at that moment, he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus, wondering, does God really love me? And Jesus' mother, Mary, pointing to her son and saying, what more could he have done for you? The cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could for us. And yet we often wonder, does God really love me? Am I important to God? Does God care about me? And that happens usually as we're walking, doesn't it? It happens on the journey of life. And these disciples learn that the presence of Christ is also something that accompanies you on the path. Just as Jesus isn't recognized by these travelers to Emmaus, he can be with us at times and even encourage us in our struggles, and yet we aren't aware that he's present. The risen Christ is not limited by doors or windows or keys or locks as we are. 
nor by geography or time. Karl Barth, the famous theologian, was on a streetcar one day in Basel, Switzerland, where he lectured. A tourist to the city climbed on the bus and sat down next to Barth. The two men started chatting with each other and, Are you new to the city? Bart inquired. Yes, said the tourist. Is there anything you would particularly like to see in the city? Bart asked the tourist. Oh, yes, he said. I would really, really love to meet the famous theologian Karl Bart. Do you know him? Bart replied, Well, as a matter of fact, I do. I, I give him a shave every morning. The tourist got off the streetcar, quite delighted, went back to his hotel, saying to himself and to the clerk, I met Karl Barth's barber today. Didn't even realize. Each Christian comes to church, talks to other Christians, laughs, cries, drinks coffee, eats goodies, And yet, somehow or other, Christ isn't with us, isn't here? Was it not the promise of Jesus that where two or three are gathered, I might show up? No. I will be there. The gospel message says very simply, that we don't live in a mechanistic world ruled by necessity. You don't live in a random world ruled by chance, and you live rather in a world ruled by the God of Exodus and Easter. God will do things in you that neither you nor your friends would have ever supposed possible. Words from Eugene Peterson in his book on pastoral care more than you would have ever dreamed possible. You see, the Easter message for us as believers who have trusted Christ is that the work is not done. Not yet. It's not done, and we have no idea what God will do with us next. And that should be pretty exciting information to share. Let's pray. Lord, as you walk beside us each day in the coming moments and weeks, grant us the grace to know the touch of your hand on our arm, the sound of your voice in our ear, and the warm smile on your face as it touches our heart and assures us of our journey's purpose. In the hands and the smiles and the touch of those who journey with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Bless the Lord, sing praise and bless the Lord, peoples, nations, alleluia. Sing praise and bless the Lord, sing praise and bless the Lord, peoples, nations, alleluia. Let's confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
Together we confess, saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God has been good to us. In abundance we live every day, and the gifts that we bring are tithes and offerings and gifts to the glory and service of Jesus Christ, the Lord in whose, whom we serve. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Praise God above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Unnumbered are your blessings to us, immeasurable your grace to us, unbounded your love for us. We give to you as we give ourselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please join me in your bulletin as we come to the prayers of God's people. We will work through the litany for mothers. And when we get to the, uh, the end of the litany, I'll give us some space to raise up names of those we would like to remember in prayer this morning. Simply give you some time and space to say their names out loud, and then we'll move into the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Please join me in the litany found in your bulletin. Eternal God, on this day we lift up all mothers to you. Scripture has prepared us to recognize that by your grace, mothering takes many forms. We lift up those who have experienced joy and fulfillment in mothering, who have known the pain of a child's death, who are facing motherhood again or for the first time, for whom childlessness represents a loss, who have such unbounded love that they mother all God's children, who lament their separation from their children for whatever reason, who mother those of the previous generation who are again childlike, 
who are the previous generation loving extended families. Likewise, the experiences of being mothered are many and varied. We lift up those who have cherished memories of being mothered, who have suffered abuse, neglect, or emotional harm, who remember with joy being mothered by a broader community of women, who have experienced or are in the midst of grief for the loss of a mother or a mother figure, who were adopted into the loving arms of a mother, who may continue to experience estrangement from their mother, who have been raised by their mother with deep abiding love and respect for the feminine, including their own, who in the image of God, the mother finds faith and comfort. God, we also lift up any experiences of motherhood or being mothered that have been left unspoken. We raise our prayer in the name of our Lord, whose motherly love sustains us each day and in all life's moments, who taught us to pray, boldly saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Likewise we come, O Lord, opening our hearts and minds to you in your great love and grace, on behalf of those that we have concern for, and seek your hand of mercy and grace and guidance. For these and all unmentioned, we come, O Lord, asking that you hear our prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This second Sunday of the month is everybody brings whatever they have uh, for coffee hour. So I can promise you there are some great goodies waiting for you in the uh, Bellhauer parlor. Uh, If you'll join us afterwards for some fellowship around food and drink. Uh, There are no announcements that I know of unless someone has something they would like to share. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing some planning for the upcoming celebration on the uh, Memorial Day weekend of uh, Marie's birthday. Uh, We want to uh, remember that as a weekend if you're available uh, to to join us in the coffee hour after the service that Sunday uh, for a special celebration of her 100th year. To all of our mothers, happy Mother's Day. To all of us who are not mothers, thank God for our mothers. Thank God for the mothering love that sustains us and keeps us and impels us into the world to live out our lives. As we do so today and always, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and our Mother be with us in the communion of the Holy Spirit until Christ comes and then forever. And all God's people said.